This is Inspiring Minds, a podcast focused on thought-provoking conversations between BSB students and our world-class faculty. Welcome to this edition of VSB's podcast, Inspiring Minds. I'm Madeline Shiley, a senior accounting, finance, and international business major, and I'm here to interview Dr. Stephen Andriel about digital transformation and his recent article in the Sloan Management Review about the myths of digital transformation. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. You've been the director of the Cybernetics Technology Office at the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency to the senior vice president of the Technology Strategy Group at Signacorp. What, in your experience, has proven to be the most significant barrier to successful tech implementations? One is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of changing things that might not end too well. And, you know, the old axiom, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is always applicable to any kind of change in a corporation, any kind of change to a process, to a business rule, to a whole business model. There's always that fear. And the second one is ignorance. People often don't understand what the technologies can do. So they're very concerned about, you know, how do I actually or do I, should I tweak a process that's working pretty well uh, with a new technology about which I know relatively little. So until all that's mapped out really well, there's a lot of caution that converts very quickly to fear. In your paper, on that note, you kind of discuss how digital transformation might not be a viable strategy for every business then. Can you give us an example of where digital transformation is most successful and where a transformation strategy would be doomed? It's often successful for reasons that maybe are counterintuitive. So it's often successful when a company's revenue begins to fall and their profitability begins to fall and their market share begins to fall. Then they get scared, but this time for the right reasons. They get scared because if they don't make some significant changes, they're going to have some real problems. So often when you look at the probability of success of digital transformation, it's often motivated by how deep a hole a company has dug itself into and how willing it is to dig itself out, that is to survive. That's one big motivation when it can happen. Other motivations are when you're in an industry where you've got a revenue stream that's particularly nice. In fact, it's worked out quite well. A good example would be ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning Systems. So you sell really big software to really big companies. And you've done that with partners that are the consultancies that install the application onto so-called on-premise servers. You make a lot of money doing that, but all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, you know what, we can offer this through the cloud. And there's another example of kind of fear, but trying to be anticipatory of some of the changes and trying to say, you know what, I think cloud is going to be the primary delivery model going forward, and I need to get in front of that. So there's another opportunity, if you will, when it can be very successful. So a company's making money and they've got the ability to adjust, and they also see a trend that they can afford to play around with and see if it's going to work. You see that exactly with Oracle, SAP, and a bunch of other vendors. So there's a couple of examples of where it can work. Number one, where it can be motivated often by we're scared to death about what's about to happen. And number two is, you know, we're pretty much in control of this market. We have the resources. We can afford to make some changes. So let's try it. Doomed to failure when senior leadership doesn't see any of that. Uh, They're not fearful when they should be, and they don't see the macro trends that are going to affect their their business, their company, their business model. Uh, They're blind to what the competition's doing. So a lot of it has to do with understanding technology trends, understanding where you are in the marketplace, and, and frankly, the willingness of senior management to undertake some of these changes, as scary as they might be. 
In the technology community, there's always excitement regarding the latest and greatest disruptive technology, such as artificial intelligence and machine learning. Where do you see these applications heading, and where do you feel that focusing on these technologies might be irrelevant to business success? Might be irrelevant. That's an interesting question. First of all, I, I clearly love the trajectory of some of these technologies. The two you mentioned, AI and automated reasoning, are interesting because they've been around for decades. We started many, many years ago developing what were then called and still called expert systems that worked in very tightly controlled deductive inferential domains. What that means is simply if then. If there's a problem and I can define it, then this solution might work. And if you could do that, say you can do that in medical diagnostics, you can do that in legal profession. If you can do that, then you can apply some of these technologies. So they're not brand new. What's new is their ability to do things in real time and their ability to deal with massive amounts of data. So are they incredibly potentially impactful and even disruptive? Absolutely. If you're a large or a medium-sized corporation and you're not investing in those two technologies, you're going to fail. It has to do with cost basis and cost structure. So if you can apply smart algorithms, smart applications, in the marketplace, vis-a-vis -vis your competition, you can reduce your cost, increase your efficiency, the so-called better, faster, cheaper goal. And those two technologies you mentioned are two that clearly speak directly to better, faster, cheaper. Where would they be irrelevant? Well, there's certain inductive domains where they're not as applicable. So an automated reasoning application will not be as smart solving certain inductive problems as it would solving many deductive inferential problems. So you need to be careful about where you apply that technology. But that said, I think everyone needs to invest in these technologies without question. And by the way, one last thing about those technologies. They're going to be embedded. In other words, it's not going to be a giant expert system like Watson from IBM, for example. It's going to be a series of smart processes that are embedded into otherwise quasi-automated, even manual processes that will become more automated and more intelligent and less and less and less manual over time. And those are the experiments, if you will, the pilots, if you will, in which companies must invest. One conclusion we could draw from your answer there is then that these types of technologies are not just for Silicon Valley, Google, IBM. You can use them when you're in an insurance company or in some other form of business rather than just the high-tech industry. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned insurance, claims processing. You're absolutely right to point that out, that in fact, it's across multiple vertical industries. The tech industry provides and enables the platform and the technology for applicability to multiple vertical industries, whether it's production, whether it's robotics, whether it's mundane tasks like claims processing for the insurance industry, tax preparation, lots of legal issues. The applicability of this technology is very wide. And as I said, it's been around for a long, long time. And now we're getting to the point where the technology platforms themselves, the ability to process this and to model these inferential processes, the technology itself, as well as the intersection with big data and the ability to do real time is all coming together at, at right now. So that's why it becomes, I would actually argue, quite urgent for companies to start playing with this technology right now. On a different note, change management can be expensive and inexact, according to your words. Can you talk a little bit about the barriers to change, especially technology change, in a workplace? 
There's a lot of resistance to change, as I mentioned early in the conversation, just in general. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Technology-enabled change is, is often challenging because it will compete with an existing technology. So, for example, there's an application that everyone loves. Maybe it's something as trivial as expense reporting. And everyone's been using the same application for five or ten years. And everyone's very comfortable with it. And then someone else comes along and says, I have better, faster, cheaper. And not just that, it will give me data I didn't necessarily have. That said, people say, but I like the old one. And why are you automating a process that I'm very familiar with and it appears to be very, very efficient? And the answer comes back, well, we can make this better, faster, cheaper, obviously, but we can do analytics from the data we collect. We can use the data we collect to perhaps negotiate with providers. So there's that, that I'm very comfortable with it the way it is, and I don't care about your better, faster, cheaper argument. Uh, I want to do it my way. The same rationale applies in this larger effort under the umbrella of digital transformation called applications rationalization. What, what does that mean? What that means is that we have a lot of applications, software applications that we use that are kind of old, kind of dated, but very familiar, almost personal to people. And someone comes along and says, you know, that application is really old. It costs a lot to maintain. We can't change it. It's not in the cloud. It's sitting on one of our servers. Let's get rid of that thing. And there's all kinds of political fights. So that becomes a kind of obstacle to it. Uh, then you have another obstacle, another class of, of obstacles, which is technology integration and interoperability. So I want to introduce some new technology. Will it work with all the other stuff? Or will we have to sort of rip everything out because you want to put this one new piece in? So you have to do what's called a total cost of ownership and return on investment, TCO, ROI analysis, to see if, in fact, it makes sense. And sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah, it's not always perfect, and it is inexact. And change management, that's sort of getting people ready for the change. And that usually takes place over a long period of time where people are concerned about what does this do to me, my personal productivity? What does this do to my team and all those kinds of issues? And I love that application. They're holding on to it as it's rolled out the door, out to pasture. So you have a lot of issues like that. And they're often political. They're often personal. Change is always difficult. Change management is always challenging. It's also something that's not adequately planned for. And so what is the change management process? Who's going to manage it? What information are we going to share? How's this going to work? How much is it going to cost? How long will it take? Change management becomes an essential part of any digital transformation project. And it's often shortchanged. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Andrea, on this episode of Inspiring Minds. It's been great talking to you. It's been great talking with you as well. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Minds. Stay tuned for our next installment featuring more VSB students discussing research topics with our world-class faculty. 